Hello, everybody. It's Brett Kelly. I'm uh, here doing the second episode of this uh, podcast thingy. So um, not a whole lot of people listen to the first one as of right now. So um, I was hoping to get some questions and uh, comments and things like that that might help guide the direction of where this is going to go. But so far, uh, nothing. So I'm just doing this basically at the moment for my own um, um, benefit of telling these stories and, you know, refreshing them in my mind. So um, I guess until I hear, until I get inspired by you know other things, I'll kind of go in order. So where that leaves me today is to talk about my first feature film uh, that was released to the public, and that is uh, 2001's *The Feral Man*. Uh, it came out in 2002, but we made it in 2001, and um, we filmed it on um, what do you call it? Um, Hi8 video and some VHS, some Super VHS, I believe it was. And I still have the Super VHS cameras we used for it. They were like these industrial things. And um, yeah, that was kind of all we really had access to at the time. And um, the inspiration behind the story was, um, you know, I my dad had recently died in real life and I was kind of like trying to figure out what to do. And, you know, I wanted to be a filmmaker and stuff like that. And I was kind of... Um, I wanted to kind of follow through with my dream to kind of, uh, make myself feel better, I guess. So I was, um, decided to tell this story and I told it, I kind of made it semi-autobiographical just to kind of like write what you know. So I had the character that I played in the movie, his character, his, his dad had recently died and whatever. And, and basically it's a character dealing with loss and, you know, it's a put. It's kind of like a werewolf movie, but not really. It's more like a lycanthropy movie. Um, Danny hits his head and starts to believe he's a werewolf. So the the movie is, um, you know, um, some people have mistakenly said it's you know it's a really bad whodunit because we know right away who done it. And I said it's not a whodunit. It's a why done it, and it's figuring out what happened and why what caused Danny to behave this way because we know it's Danny. It's no uh, no secret. Anyway, it's not uh, you know the tech, my technically most proficient movie ever because, like I said, it's my first attempt at a feature film, and um, once again, I, I hadn't learned quite learned my lesson about what one page of script equals one minute of movie, and what happened is the movie ran really short. Um, I think some scenes probably got cut too, and the whole thing ran really short. So the movie you'll notice has the most padded closing credits in the history of mankind. It's like super long and everything. Um, I was just trying to make it a minimum of like 64 minutes or something like that. I don't remember why I got that number, but I was trying to make it just, <laughs> I was trying to pat it out to be as long as possible because I wanted it to be a feature. So it's dubiously a feature, but it's my first feature, let's say. Um, yeah, I'm looking at the IMDb B page right now to kind of remind myself of stuff because it was a long time ago. Um, like I said, I was trying in my previous, uh, podcast, I was trying to develop myself as an actor and trying to get known as an actor. So I, of course, not only directed it, I played the, the, the lead role in it as well, which I wouldn't do today. But back then, um, you know, my argument was I could, I was affordable and available. So, um, that's what I did. Um, some, I met, uh, my really good friend, Mark Cornier, who's in that movie and he's been in several of my movies since then. I met him, uh, in a play, actually, come to think of it, right shortly before that, I was in a play um, 
Tennessee Williams' Sweet Bird of Youth. I played the, uh, the role that Paul Newman played in the film. And Mark played a character called the Heckler, I think it was called. Something like that. And he, he was a really good guy, and uh, he came out to audition for the film. And now, you know, many, many moons later, um, we live in different countries, but he uh, was uh, one of the groomsmen at my wedding and super cool guy, one of my favorite humans. And um, also in the film is uh, Mary McPherson, who I met from being in a film that my roommate at the time, Josh, was in. She was in it as well. Um, and uh, she also, she moved away as well. She's in Vancouver, I think. And, um, yeah, met, uh, there's a bunch of people. A lot of the people looking at this list were either people that I knew from theater, uh, from Josh's film, or from the University of Ottawa, where I was working at a TV station there. Um, we had auditions, and um, I believe most of these people, if not all of these people, came out to do it. Um, let's see, what else can I tell you from this? Oh, we had a nude scene, my first ever... No, it wasn't my first one. Did, we did one in Night Songs, but... The less said about night songs, the better. But we had a nude scene in The Feral Man that uh, seemed important at the time because a lot of independent horror films seem to have a little bit of nudity in it. So we found this woman, um, um, Elizabeth Wood, who uh, she was an exotic dancer at the time, I believe. And she auditioned and she she agreed to do it and everything like that. <clears throat> and it was really embarrassing for me. Like, we were kind of awkward to... Um, direct a nude scene, but she was perfectly comfortable and perfectly professional and everything like that. And it was kind of uh, humorous. And um, she had very tiny breasts. And um, when she did the uh, the scene, it was kind of almost anticlimactic uh, because her she was masked a lot by the blinds in the in the scene. So that was kind of kind of funny. But then she showed up to the rap party, and she suddenly had dyed black hair and very large breasts all of a sudden. She had had some surgery done, and uh, <laughs> my wife, my current wife, who was uh, uh, at the party, um, was su- surprised to see this woman now with very large breasts all of a sudden, and so she kind of went, oh my goodness, uh, you got black hair, and it was very, very funny. Um, so, uh, but yeah, she was super nice as well. Um, what else can I tell you? The first day of filming was kind of... Well, the first two days of filming were funny because I had never done a feature before and I was a little bit nervous. I think the first day we filmed Mary and Lisa Stavros doing a scene on the sofa talking about the breakup or something. And it was two women sitting on a sofa, which is kind of the most boring way you can film a scene. I should have had them doing something, but I was I was new. And like everybody on their first feature, on their first day, I overshot. Like I think we filmed for, I don't know, only a few hours, but it was one scene. And I filmed it all sorts of different ways and did many, many, many takes. And it was really unnecessary, but <laughs> I didn't know. I was just getting started. And then um, the next day, we filmed the funeral where we kind of stole the location uh, somewhere in Ottawa. <clears throat> and I'd scouted it before the sun or before the snow fell. And then when we went to go film, there was a snowfall. So suddenly I couldn't recognize the paths because they were all covered in snow. So it took us a long time to find the cemetery because it was kind of hidden and out of the way. And so we finally did, and, uh, and it eventually went, went pretty well. Um, what else can I tell you about The Feral Man? Um, there's a commentary track on the DVD, so I'm sure I'm probably repeating myself if you have that movie. But, <clears throat> but like I said, I haven't thought about this movie in a while. 
Um, um, there was a so <laughs> there's a a line cut from the script. I shouldn't even tell you about it. No, nah, I won't tell you about it. It's too stupid. But anyway, um, the um, uh, it's pretty late at night. And, oh, it's my birthday today, by the way. So I'm recording this on my birthday. Um, it's I've just it was just my birthday 24 minutes ago. It's 12:24 in the morning. Um, so the Feral Man, when I finished it, I edited it at uh, TV's. Sorry, no, I edited it at um, Club Saw or Saw Video in uh, here in Ottawa. It was a, it's like a arts cooperative type thing, and and we edited it. It was like you know, um, an early Avid we edited it on and, uh, you know, we had to move, um, patch cords between decks in order to, to make it all work. And it was very complicated. We did it overnights because it was cheaper that way. I think Jody Pittman helped me edit it, if, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so it was an experience. I mean, it was the first time ever trying it. And, you know, um, I remember when I was done, I, went and got a whole box full of VHSs made from a local duplication place. And I sent, sent out VHSs as we did back in those days to different distributors. And, um, I had discovered Tempe video from, um, alternative cinema magazine. So I, uh, sent them, they were kind of my, my big hope cause they were, they were putting out some really interesting stuff. So, and a bunch of other companies and I didn't really hear from anybody. And I think I mentioned this in the last, uh, um, the last podcast, but I met J.R. Bookwalter and, and he ended up signing the film and my next film, The Bone Setter as well. Um, a lot of people have said that they, they, the Feral Man, they really, really like because it's very personal and it was, and you know, it, there's a lot of things in it that, you know, I'm not sure necessarily I would do now, but I did as a first time filmmaker. Like I put a lot of, I mean, I, I, I try to put heart and soul in all of my movies, but this one definitely had a lot of, a lot of heart and soul. And there was a lot of, um, caring for, you know, a movie about a guy who thinks he's a werewolf. Um, it's, it, um, like I said, it runs short and it's very padded and stuff like that, but it was my first, uh, my first crack at a feature film and, you know, it, it was, um, quite a feat to, uh, at the time it, I, we, oh, we filmed it over, over a year. Oh, I wanted to mention this as well. It took about a year to film here and there, like in bits and pieces here and there. And one thing no one's ever noticed or no one's ever told me they noticed, but no one's ever, for all the people who complain online about movies, no one ever noticed that I filmed it over three different seasons. I mean, this movie's got uh, obvious snow. It's got, um, you know, um, flowers blooming, and it's got all kinds of different seasonal things. But no one's ever noticed that the whole movie is supposed to take place in a very short time. But it's clearly, to me anyway, because I know, uh, three filmed over three different seasons. <clears throat> so that, I find that kind of amusing. Um <coughs> When the, when the DVD came out, I packed it with uh, bonus features like other short films I'd done and commentary tracks and all that. And Tempe put it out, and it it, uh, it came out, and uh, I was very excited to get my box of uh, of comps when I, when the movie got signed. And um, I don't recall how it did. I don't think it set the world on fire, but uh, but it came out, and I was very proud of it. And it uh, led to me doing my next film, which was The Bone Setter, which I will talk about in a different podcast. So. Anyway, I hope uh, I hope this one was informative for you. It's a short one, but uh, you know, we'll see how it goes. Hopefully, um, you know, people want to know specific things, and they'll let me know. Uh, at any rate, if you do come visit me at the um, the Great Chance Films or the Brett Kelly um, Facebook uh, fan pages, and uh, and I will um, 
I will do my best to uh, talk about stuff you want to hear about. Anyway, thanks very much, and you all have a good day.